Hello, everyone. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. No idea what you're plotting for. Um, it's good to be here. I want to welcome all of you, especially you watching online. Uh, if you haven't seen the rest of the service, I'd recommend going back and watching that. We're doing something a little different this weekend, so it may seem interesting. But uh, for those of you, I want to say hi to our campuses as well. It's Homer, New Lenox, and Orland. Um, I mentioned earlier that I've been at Parkview for nine years. That's really hard to believe. Um, but if you know, if you've been around for a while, you know I actually left for a little while. Uh, my wife and daughter and I moved to Rockford, Illinois for a year and four months-ish uh, to work at a church up there. And we had been there for a little while when we realized this just isn't going to work out like we thought. Have you ever had that happen? Like you think something's going to work out one way and you get there and you're like, this isn't, this isn't quite going the way that we expected. And so uh, we knew we needed to move. And we had this opportunity to come back to Parkview. And it, it was really great because it felt like coming back home, which was awesome. But in order to do that, I had to ask some very specific questions of myself. Did I fail? I had to ask myself this like very haunting question of could I not hack it? Is that why we, we had to move? Or was I running home with my tail between my legs? Somebody actually said that to me. Like, are you just running home with your tail between your legs? So I had to think about that. I had to think about the fact that it was going to be two, uh, five schools in two years for my daughter. What kind of impact was that going to have on her? I had to think about the fact that we had to sell and buy two houses in two years would rather have a voluntary root canal with no anesthesia than buy and sell two houses in two years. So nobody wants to do that. So what would, make, what would help us? We made the choice to come back. What helped us make that choice? And I think it was one specific phrase. We had to come down to the point of saying what matters most. What is the most important thing to us right here and right now? Here's what I know. Every single move we made this week was made in the light of what matters most. Everything we did or everything we didn't do was made in the light of the things that are most important to us. And one of the great things about what we do when we gather to worship on a weekend is that's the story we want to talk about, the story of what matters most, because we're all dealing with it, we're all acting on it, and in fact, as we act on it, we're looking for something bigger than ourselves. And so I want to start telling that story in this time, the preaching time that we have every week. I want to start telling that story a bit. And I want to start with Jesus, because for us, Jesus is the center of what matters most. But there's this really interesting, I think it's interesting, hopefully you will too. There's this interesting story of Jesus at the very beginning before he does anything in public. Uh, the devil, Satan, takes him into the wilderness to tempt him, to test him. You may be like, that's a little nuts, but go with me. Takes him into the wilderness to tempt him, to test him, to basically see what Jesus is made of. And I don't know about you, but some of us have had a week that it seems like everything was geared to see what we're made of. Like, can you get through this? Can you handle this? What are you, what, deep down, what's really in you? And so the devil takes Jesus out into the wilderness and he tempts him three times. And these, I want to summarize these for you. The first one, Jesus hadn't eaten for about 40 days and he was hungry. And so Satan says, why don't you just, you're a miracle guy, take all the stones around you and just turn them into bread. And then you won't be hungry anymore. So he's basically telling Jesus, can you, are you powerful enough to provide everything that you and everybody else needs? Second thing was he took him to the temple in Jerusalem, took him to the top and said, ooh, ooh you know what would be great? Throw yourself off the temple, and before you hit the ground, call for the angels to save you. It'll be a wonderful Instagram moment. Everybody will think you're awesome. You'll be spectacular. The question he's asking is, can you do everything? Are you all-powerful? 
Are you spectacular? The last temptation, he takes him to a high place and he shows him all the powers in the universe. Shows him all of the authority and says, do you want all this? Imagine what you could do with all this. All you have to do is worship me, Satan said, and I'll give you all of it. So basically, he was saying, can you run everything? Can you possess everything? Sometimes the week we've lived coming into this place is pressing us with the same questions. In our parenting, we're trying to raise kids. We're trying to exert authority in discipline and raising them in the right way. We're trying to spin all the plates of like soccer practice and choir concert and I got to fix dinner and people have got to eat and you can't do that anymore. And we're trying to raise healthy human beings who can pay for our retirement. Amen. (laughs) Can we do everything? We're trying to have relationships and like anticipate what our our significant other needs before they even need it and deal with our own stuff and try not to be passive aggressive all the while sharing a bathroom and sometimes that's not the easiest thing in the world. At work, we're trying to fulfill all the expectations, all the obligations, get the stuff in on time, but we're also trying to do just a little bit more so maybe we get noticed, maybe we get that promotion or maybe we just don't get laid off. That would be great. We're trying to deal with our depression and our anxiety while people are standing around us going, aren't you strong enough to get through this? Can't you just move on? Don't you have enough faith? Life has pressed us with this question of, can you do all of these things? Ultimately, are you the ultimate source of power and authority in the world? And we have to respond to that question with everything that we do. And this is where I think we begin when we come together. The first thing we have to admit when we come together to worship is this. We aren't built to do everything. You and I are not built to run the universe. It's just not it. And we might say, well, yes, of course, because we're all flawed and frail and we're all, you know, a mess. And we'll get to that in a second. But listen, I don't play NBA basketball. I know some of you are confused because you're like, what? I thought he played in the NBA. That's really weird. I don't play NBA basketball, but it's not because I'm not out working out and shooting, practicing and all that kind of stuff. I don't do that, but that's not why I don't play NBA basketball. Here's why. I'm six feet tall and I have the vertical leap of a dump truck. I don't play in the NBA because I'm, I'm not built for it. And so why would I waste all my energy and all my time trying to do something I'm not made for? And yet, you and I have lived an entire week trying to run the universe, and it has exhausted us. Trying to be the ultimate authority and the ultimate worth and the ultimate power in the universe has become an ultimate failure, and we feel exhausted by that. That's not our job. It's not our job, and it never was supposed to be our job because what we learn when we worship together is this. God is ultimate value and worth. God is the ultimate authority. God is the one who is capable of running the universe, not you or I. And you can kind of see this if you read the temptation story in the wilderness with Jesus. You can see it in the way he answers. Satan says, can you make everything? Can you provide everything? Are you spectacular? Are you all-powerful? And Jesus goes, that ain't my job. That's my dad's job. So pressure's off. What an incredibly freeing thing to go back into life this coming week going, I don't have to control the universe. I'm really excited about that. I'm very happy about that. 
Instead, we can look to the one that the psalm says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Who better to run the universe than the one that hung the stars and lifted the mountains that made the heads of infants smell like they do? Is that an amazing thing or what? What is that exactly? The God who made everything beautiful, everything powerful, is in charge of the world, and we don't have to be. And so when we come together every week, we just need to remind each other of that. Hey, we're not in charge of the world. We don't have to run things. We aren't all powerful. It was never our job in the first place. So I wonder, what would happen in our lives this coming week if we just left thinking, I don't have to run everything. I don't have to exert my energy doing something that I'm not built to do. I think that could be really powerful. But it doesn't stop there because while that's a good thing, there's another implication to that. Because the second thing I want to talk about, what we do when we gather, we talk about this, is that God welcomes us. God welcomes us. It's great that God is the ultimate authority, but how does that really impact my everyday life? Because the normal trials of a week, maybe the week that you've lived before you came in here, often make us feel like on the best case scenario, we're just a mess. Worst case scenario, we're worthless. Look, we've gone through all of this stuff. We tried to be the ultimate authority. We've dropped the ball. And then we're either like, I'm just a mess or, man, I don't, I don't know why God would even want to be around me. I work out really early in the morning. And so when I'm coming home from the gym, my wife is getting up and uh, she's having her tea. And I walk in and I'm like sweaty and nasty. Like it feels good, but it does not look good. And so I walk into the kitchen and I love doing this. I'll see her coming down the stairs with her tea and I'll just be like, hey, you know I love you. And she'll do this. I love you more over there. If you'll just, let's just keep some distance between us until you've showered. Some of us, we come in here on a weekly basis and we feel like that. Like God looks at us and goes, I like you, but over there. But see, that's not the story we get from Jesus. The story we get from Jesus is that God actually loves the mess. When we're at our worst is when he wants to be closest to us. See, because we can get confused a little bit, even by the Bible. In the Psalms, it says this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, this phrase comes to mind. What is man that you are mindful of? And we get that, right? Like, why would he even consider us? We're a mess. Why does God even care about what's going on here? And the son of man that you care for him. I mean, we're nasty. We've had this horrible week. We've had, it's, you know, why would God even want to be around us? But look at the second part. You have made them, mankind, a little lower than the angels. And crown them with glory and honor. God looks at us and goes, I think more of you than you think of yourself. Because I made it me, then the angels, and then you. So yeah, you might have been a mess this week, but I love the mess because you're more than the mess. So welcome. Come home. You belong here. This is where you should be. No matter how messed you might feel, no matter how much of a dumpster fire you think this past week might have been, come. Because this is where you belong. Because I love the mess, and I love messy people. And we see that even in Jesus when he comes and starts teaching and leading people. He says, look, I'm not here for the healthy. It's not the healthy you need a doctor, the messed up people, the sick people. I need them. I've come for them. I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come for sinners. I've come for the mess. And so no matter where we are, we know that we've been welcomed home. We've been invited home with open arms. That's why around here we tell the story of the prodigal son all the time. 
A father with two sons, and the youngest son says, Hey, Dad, uh, I kind of wish you were dead so I could have all your stuff. And Dad says, All right, I'll give you all my stuff. So he gives him everything that he would have gotten as an inheritance, and the young son goes off and he wastes it all. We don't know exactly how because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So he goes and he wastes it all, and then he's destitute, and he's a mess, and he's lonely, and he says, Look, I'll just go home. Even if Dad lets me work on the farm, it'd be better than where I am. And he goes home, and Jesus is telling the story to try and teach people who God really is. And this is what he says. While the mess, the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. His guts were moved for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And he said, bring the best robe and put it on him. The Dolce Gabbana one in the back, get that one. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. Because we all have one of those just hanging around, right? Bring Bessie. We've been working on her for months. She's huge now. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. At the point when he was the messiest, God looks at all of us and says, let's throw Bessie on a spit and sing some songs. This is good. Welcome home. This is where you belong. So no matter what kind of week we've had, when we gather together every week to worship together, we're celebrating this bigger story that the God who can control the universe actually wants you and I to be here, to be with him, to be part of what he's up to. But the objection I often hear when I talk about, you know, God runs the universe is people will say, well, that's great. Um, God's not going to go to work for me. Like, I can't call in sick and say, no, God's coming for me. It's going to be fine. God's not going to pay our bills for us. God's not going to fix our kids for us. God's not going to fix our relationships for us. God's not going to fix the Cubs. Okay, listen. It's been three years since the World Series. We can start telling jokes again. We're going to get back to normal here pretty soon. God is not going to do those things for us. So what does that mean? Like, I still have to leave this place, wherever I am, the campus I'm at or the room I'm in watching this, I still have to leave this place and go live my life. That's the third part that we remind each other of every single week, which is this, that God is with us. He's all-powerful, yes, and he welcomes us, yes, but more than that, he stays with us. He remains with us. And so we may say, well, I'm not in charge of the world, so, so what am I supposed to do next? Just hang back and watch Netflix and let God take care of things? Well, there's some things you got that are not in your hands, but there are some things that God has given you to do. And so when we go to do them, we keep this in mind. We aren't in charge, but we do have a very powerful partner. God says, you have a life to live that I've given you, but you won't do it alone. You may not be in charge, but you're definitely not by yourself. Because Jesus says this to his disciples, and he says it to us too. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. You can't hack a branch off and expect it to keep growing grapes. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and and I in you, this is the revolutionary part. It's not just you stick with me. I'm going to stick with you. You will bear much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. We are not built to be in charge, but we are built to partner with God and do more than we could ever possibly imagine. So it may not be spectacular, and it may not be all-powerful, and we may not be able to do everything, but what we will do will be beautiful and life-giving and amazing. That's what we remind ourselves of every week when we come here 
We leave this place to live in partnership with God, to see the world differently because the world is filled with him. And we lose track of that. Sometimes all we can see is the mess. And he says, oh, there's, there's actually more than the mess. There's something bigger. Or as the Jewish scholar Abraham Heschel says, worship is a way of seeing the world in the light of God. So what would happen if we saw our world as more than just a mess? What if we saw our world as a place where you and I can parent and work and teach and talk and do relationships in partnership with God? How would things be different? Because it's not just about what we think or feel about God. It's what we do with it that matters most. So when we gather together, that's what we're talking about. It's not just about realizing that we're not in control. It's not just about realizing that we're welcomed. It's also, so what do we do now? And Jesus even knew this. When he was responding to all these temptations, the last response that Jesus gives is this one. I love this. Jesus says to Satan, away with you, Satan. By the way, you cannot say this to your kids. I don't care how bad they're being. That's harmful. Don't say that to your children or your spouse or your neighbor, anybody. Just don't say it to any. Let's just, Cardinal, don't say it to anybody. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. I highlighted those two words because in the original language, those two words are the same word. And the reason I point that out is because it's Jesus' way of seeing what worship actually does to us. Because the first way of using it is to bow down like to a king. It's to be humbled. And so one of the great things that happens to us when we get together is that we're humbled. We realize, I'm not in control of the world. But then we look down the road to our left and our right, and you can do that now, and you can go, wait, and neither are they. <laughs> I'm not the only one. <laughs> okay. So we, we humble ourselves. We bow down like to a king. But then we also worship is like service, as a way of honoring that person. We go and do something different. Jesus said, this isn't just about whether God's in charge. This is about, I'm going to live differently because he's in charge. And so every week when we're together, that's what we do. That's why we sing the songs we sing. It's why we pray the prayers we pray. It's why we say the words we say. It's why we create the humor that we create. It's so that we all engage in this bigger story that we're not in control of the world and we're never built to be, but we are welcomed by the God who is, who says, if you're with me, I'm with you, and we'll go do whatever it is in front of you to do. Sometimes it's hard to remember, though, in the midst of all that, because life teaches us significant lessons. Jesus says this. He says, anybody who exalts themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is a lesson I learn almost every day as a parent. The day I feel like I have it all figured out, I am taught that I don't. And this is the lesson we continue to learn. So what we do at the end of each service is we see the ultimate example of what this looks like. See, Jesus knew we couldn't just be told, we had to be shown. And so to show us what it looks like to humble himself, to show us what true love, what God's goodness really looked like, Jesus surrendered his life for you and for me. And so at the end of every week, we celebrate communion as a reminder of that. No, you're not in charge of the world. Yes, God is. Yes, he welcomes you. And yes, you can partner with him. But more than all of that, this is what that looks like. To humble ourselves. To bow down so that we can rise up. And so here in a moment, we're going to sing a song called God is So Good which is a beautiful song, and then we're going to take communion together. But as we do that, maybe today the best thing you could reflect on is 
do I really believe that God is in charge of the universe? And if so, what does that do for this week? Do I believe that I'm actually welcomed, that even though when I feel like I'm a mess, God's like, I like the mess. I actually like you more when you're messy. Do we really believe that he wants to be with us and partner with us in everything that we do? Think on those things as we take communion together. Let's pray. God, it's a gift to be here. Thank you. Thank you for the energy of the team that has put all of our services together at all campuses. Thank you for the fact that we don't have to be in control of the universe. Thank you that you have welcomed us to be part of your family no matter how messy we are and that you say, I'll be with you if you're with me and we will do whatever it needs to be done this week. So help us to remember that and to celebrate your goodness. All this we do and we think and we pray and we say in Jesus' name, amen.